You're listening to a message from Hope Central in Adelaide, South Australia. If you would like to know more about Hope Central or any of our ministries, please visit hopecentral.org.au. Amen. Now listen, we're getting into a series this month that I'm really kind of glad about. And it's really the series this month is about how to help other people well. And because we find that a lot of people in a church, in your families, in the community, that we get involved in helping, but we don't quite do it in a healthy, sustainable way. And what happens is we end up getting kind of worn out, get jaded, get confused. And sometimes we end up not helping anybody because we kind of haven't done it in the right way. So we want to talk about that this month. Let me start with this picture. Um, years, years ago, I'm going to get this as vague as possible, years ago, before when I was a child, no, just years ago, there was a lady that came to me with an issue. Issue was she's um, got a drug-addicted daughter, adult daughter, who also has a child. And the child has become a pawn in this issue. Maybe you can understand this. Drug-addicted mom spending her money on her habit, not caring for her child, then going to grandma, you know, her mother, for money to raise the child, to feed the child. And this loop had been going on for years, years and years and years. And now this lady has her daughter even more drug addicted, and she has $35,000 in credit card debt. And she's been trying to pay for the needs of her grandson. She's stuck. What do you do? Like, you don't want to stop because then the grandchild would starve to death, not have clothes, that kind of thing. But the daughter won't change, the one kind of stuck in the middle with the habit. And so we had to have this conversation. It was a very difficult conversation because I had to say some really mean things. I said, you are the one that's keeping your daughter drug addicted. She wasn't okay with that at first, but I said, let's stop and let's look at this moment. Let's look at the whole situation tragedy had happened in the family early on. The husband and wife, they are married, they had two children. When the children were eight and ten, the dad died. So, fantastic mom, this lady, she tried to step in and be everything for those kids who were now missing one of their parents. And that kind of needing to step in and to make up for pain and make up for trouble had caused her to kind of go beyond things. Didn't want to discipline them, didn't want to give them a a more difficult life than they were already experiencing, you can understand, and kind of kind of fill in for things. And then when the children, because all children as they grow, they encounter problems, they encounter difficulties, she didn't quite address those things quite right. And it ended up with this daughter's life kind of spiraling out of control. And then when the habit started, she felt so sorry for her because the reason that she's going through all of this anxiety and trial because of you know, the sadness in her life, that drugs were curing that in some way, that she felt that she just had to, obligated to just keep it kind of going, and then this, the problem just kind of built. And I said to her, listen, in order for us to get your grandson help, we have to stop you enabling your daughter. And that was tough. It was a change of mindset that needed to happen in her. She wanted to help but she wasn't helping in a sustainable way. And so there's things in the scripture that we want to talk about today that really are about making sure that we are helping with the boundaries in place so that we ultimately produce the right result. Does that make sense? 
not trying to be mean, but how to make sure that help goes on. I want, I want to share with you, starting with this story. Jesus does this with you and I, with regular people. It says, he called the 12 together, and he gave them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases and to send them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And wherever and whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there, depart. Now, the thing you need to notice about Jesus is Jesus believes in people. He believes in people so much that he gives them jobs to do. And he does not do their job for them. Do you get that? That Jesus pushes obligations onto people that they are supposed to carry. And have you noticed that? Why isn't it all miracles? Why doesn't God just do everything? Why doesn't God cure all of the problems? Why doesn't God show up and make sure that I get everything all the time just the way I want it? Why doesn't God provide all the food that I need? Why do I have to go to work? Why do I have to have a job? Why do I have to? But you see, notice that God has a relationship with us where he gives us responsibilities. And he also does things that we can't do. He does miracles. But then he also places responsibilities on us. Why do they have to do all of this? It's because it's good for them. So I want to talk today about how to carry a burden. How to carry, care for others in a life-giving way. Some of what I'm going to say today, you need to take away and digest. Because especially if you've been doing things in a wrong way, I imagine this. You're going to feel a huge amount of guilt about stopping something. And also, if you've given up, you're going to feel like a large amount of reluctance on re-engaging in something. So... In Matthew chapter 25, this is the idea that we've been carrying all this year. Is that when Jesus comes back, he, he tells us these three parables about when he comes back, what he's looking at, what he wants to see. And one of them is about care for others. He says, the king will say to those on his right, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared you from the foundation of the world. I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Notice that Jesus is really talking about, did you care about anybody? He, he really expects that his church, alive in him, is going to be the kind of people who constantly give to others, who constantly support people, who are there for them. And what we find, though, is that it's actually quite hard to keep that up. But it is the calling that we all have. And I want to talk today, is the, how you are helping other people the product of ignoring or ignorance. There are, there are rules about the way that we help people that you might be ignorant about. And there also is an expectation that we help other people that you might be ignorant about. And sometimes it's just pure ignorance. Do you know the difference between ignoring something and ignorance? Ignoring it is when you do know it and you just don't respond to it. Ignorance is you just didn't know it. It's fine today if you're ignorant of some of these things. But let's talk about this. In Proverbs chapter 24, 11 to 12, he says, Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, Behold, we didn't know this. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? The idea that we can get through life and say, I didn't know there was a problem. I didn't know there was needs. I didn't know there was somebody was struggling. If we claim to say, I didn't know, then we're really talking about ignoring, not ignorance. You know, there's problems everywhere. 
In fact, they're all around us all of the time. It's just whether or not we're aware of them, whether we are willing to be aware of them. And I think sometimes we can kind of get this sort of, I'd prefer not to know, ignorance is bliss. I would just rather not be aware of all of the problems that are in my community, on my street. Because if I did, then I'd have to do something about them. God the Father says, you can't tell me you don't know. You know. And likewise, he says to the people of God when they're setting up their new community and in the regulations of Deuteronomy, he says, if among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns with your, within their land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Take care, lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart and you say, oh, the seventh year, the year of lease is near. Now, if you don't know, that's about the regulations about the, the Sabbath cycle in the years of obligations and ownership. So it's kind of hard for us to understand. But basically, it's like, I don't want to give away something that I'm going to get an advantage of. I'd rather not know. And so he says, and your eye, look grudgingly at your poor brother and give him nothing. And he cried to the Lord against you, and then you be guilty of sin. You shall give him freely. And your heart shall not be grudging when you give it to him. I don't know if that command was ever obeyed. How do you command people not to be grudging? Have you ever tried to get your children to apologize to one another? Tell them you're sorry. I'm sorry. They're not sorry. Mean it in your heart. You can't do that. Anyway, he says, um, because for this... The Lord your God will bless you in all of your work and in all that you undertake, for there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. Do you notice the promise right there in the middle? He says, if you do your giving, your serving with a spirit of generosity and love, then God will sustain you. God will keep you in a blessed state because you will always not only have enough, but you will always have a good attitude about it. I think the problem is, have you ever tried to help somebody and you give generously and then it just doesn't keep going that well? And then eventually you get really begrudging about the help that you have to give? And it hands up who's ever helped somebody and then it got too much. It hurts, doesn't it? And you want to withdraw from that because you're no longer doing it generously. And that's because we're not doing it according to the way of the Lord. So what are the limits? When do the needy need to responsibility for their own needs? How much load should I carry? What about the guilt that I'm feeling? How do I care for myself as well as care for the burdens of others? How can I say no and when should I? How do I start saying yes in a more healthy way? That's what we're going to talk about Today. Now, here's the rules for healthy community. Comes in this passage, this First Timothy. Timothy is the title of the book because he's the receiver of the book. The Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy to give him the rules for organizing the church in every place that Timothy oversees. And it's quite a large area, the entire province of Asia. So he says, Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. 
She who is truly a widow left all alone has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. So let's ask the question, why widows? Well, widows were a part of the community in that day that once their husband died, they had no access to any help. Can you imagine this? That when you got married, you left your family, you left your mother and father and that supportive community that paid your bills and cared for you. You enter into a new relationships with your husband and all of the responsibility for your care has now gone into him. Then he dies. And you are on your own. There's no welfare. There's no social system. There's no obligations in the community to help widows. So this widow then would be in a drastic financial state. Now when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he created a church. And in that church, there were widows. And Jesus said, not in my family. No widows starve in my family. And so he grabs all of his other children and says, you're going to care for my widows. You are going to take care of the people who have nothing. And he puts it as an obligation on his body, you will do this. But then the question is, well, who's a real widow? Like not just losing your husband, but if you're a widow, but you can go back to your family, should the church face the burden of paying your bills? And what if you're a widow and your family is just ignoring the responsibility of paying for your needs? Where are they supposed to do that? And if you are a widow, but you have a chance to remarry, but you don't want to because you want to enjoy your party lifestyle, not that it was a party. But look, he goes on and he says, but she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Oh, there's the partier. The party girl who killed her husband and now wants to dance on his grave. No, um, (laughs) Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for the members of his household, he's denied the faith, and is worse than even an unbeliever. Now from this, you know how in the scriptures, they're not going to write about technology in the scriptures because it didn't exist, right? Because that would have been a waste of time for the first audience. So what we learn, what we learn is principles. We use, the, we use this illustration of how do you care for people so that we can ask a set of questions about how to do this well. And so here's what I've come up with. These are the boundaries, and the boundaries and guidelines are there for a reason. Number one, we have to ask the question, who is truly in need? Now, the reason that we do that is so that there is enough for everyone. Okay? We have to ask the question, who's truly in need? Because we have to ask the question, how is there going to be enough for everyone? Government has to do this all of the time. In the social programs that they provide in a country like Australia, they can't just give all of the money to the people with the loudest voices. Why? Well, it's simple. Because then other people don't get their needs met. So, second question two is, we have to have in place the protection of those who care for the needs of others. It's not all about the needy and the need. It's also about the people who are providing for the need, okay? And number three, the rehabilitation of those who can become contributors. Meaning this, that Jesus does not believe in people constantly being in need. That well-cared-for people become contributors as they leave a life of dependence and become a a people of investment. Does that make sense? So these three things, we're going we're to talk about these things a little bit more in a minute, but I just want to show you 
that the scriptures define these two um, ways of thinking around the picture of burdens and backpacks. Okay? What is the difference between a burden and a backpack? Well, a burden is something that you cannot carry alone. Okay? There are things that happen in our lives to all of us that there's no possible way that we can get through life without the help of others. If you think that that is God's vision for your life, that you're supposed to be this independent person who needs no one, then you are not reading the scriptures. God says that we depend on Christ every single day. We can't live without him. And that is the normal way for us to be. That's abnormal if you're trying to live without Jesus' help. You're going to get nowhere. But living in dependence on Jesus is important, but it's also live in dependence on others. We need love. We need care. We need compassion. We need concern. And sometimes we need instructions, guidelines, directions. We need hope. We need people to tell us how to do things, people to stand beside us, people to pay our bills, do our laundry, some people who build stuff for us. We need other people. We're a body. Does that make sense? We got, there are things about life that you just have to understand you got to share it with other people. And number two, there's backpack things. Now, backpack things are responsibilities that you are called to carry. And there's no one that's supposed to be doing that for you. So the way I learned this principle, I was um, living in Vancouver at the time, listening to uh, Christian radio, and uh, heard a preacher hop on the radio, delivering a sermon. And he was talking about burdens and backpacks. And he was an African-American person. So what you're about to hear is my best impressions. (laughs) He said, I get sick of the guys that are calling me up and telling me what's wrong with their wives. My wife, she won't do this. My wife, she won't do that. Pastor, you got to come to my house and you got to tell my wife, do this and do that. And I say, no, brother. No. That is not my backpack. My backpack is to teach the word of God to the church. My backpack is to build you up, brother. But you got to love your wife. You got to build her up. That is your backpack. And I thought, and I thought wow. That, I'm, <laughs> all right, you get what I'm saying? Well, I, I, I just said it that way so that you'd get the <clears throat> kind of thing that happened to me. That from now on, whenever you hear the backpack, you're going to hear backpack. Not just backpack, okay? It makes more sense when you hear it with the African-American endorsement. Okay. Now, that idea comes from this scripture. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 to 3, he says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him with a spirit of gentleness. But watch yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens so that you fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Now, most of that is confusing. I'll I'll give it to you. You think you're something, you're nothing, you're deceived. What? (laughs) It doesn't make any sense. It does when you break it down, but the book of Galatians is all about learning to trust in the Spirit of God, okay? You need to trust in the Spirit of God for life. So when you think somebody needs to be restored and somebody's burdens and the love of Christ, this is all about 
learning to live by help with God's help in your life. But let's talk about this idea here. We are to carry one another's burdens, which means this, we all need help. The one another part is inclusive of everyone. There is not the contributors and the receivers. We are all contributors and receivers. You should never get into that arrogant position where you think, I'm so much better than other people. That is so destructive. We are all givers and receivers. But gentle care fulfills the law of Christ. It's not just care, but gentle care. Because we are talking about preserving human beings, making sure they never lose their value. Now, when that happens, it reveals who we are in grace. When, when you care for someone in a gentle way, you affirm their worth. But when you care for people in an offhanded, callous way, you say, you're not worth my help. You're not important. You should just work harder. When you do things based on people's performance, you make them performers. But when you help people based on love, you make them family. Do you hear what I'm saying? You got to do it gently and gracefully. This is not about standing up and telling them. No, it's about loving people into a sense of family and community. And that's why he says, for everyone who thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Because the way that we care for other people gives them their sense of self. I am loved. I am valuable. I'm important. I can do things. I'm worth the time. I'm worth the trouble. I'm worth the care. When we care for other people, that's how you get the message of who you really are. Now, he goes on. So the, 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 sorry, the rules are to care for one another means that I am loved unconditionally. This is how it works in all human beings. I am loved unconditionally, and that is how I discover who I am. The good things that you can contribute come out of your reflection of your value and worth. So my foundations become rebuilt. If I am failing, it's because I am, don't know who I am in Christ. And as I'm rebuilt, I get new foundations and I get new capacity. And then that capacity comes from that new sense of self-worth. Does, does this make sense? You can take any two children with equal skills and talents and abilities. You put them in a family where they are loved, and you put them in a family where they are judged and criticized. The one who is loved becomes whole. It's not about performance. It's not about ability, but it's the sense of who you are that enables your abilities. Does that make sense? And so it's about very carefully caring for people. And then he goes on to the backpacks. So he says, let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each one will have to bear his own load. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Now, do you see in this passage, he's gone away from just caring for the need of the burden of others. And now he's turned it around and it's back onto the person who had the need. Because ultimately, everybody needs to carry their own load. Does that make sense? It's important that we know that the vision is not so that we keep maintaining care and keep supporting people, but that we enable people to carry their own load. 
Okay. How am I doing for time? All right, you guys bored yet? Okay, I've got to keep working on that. I'll bore you yet. Okay, so years ago, um, when we were helping different schools in the community as a church, uh, my wife Jody, she got a job uh, as a chaplain of one of the nearby schools. School was in really, really rough shape by this stage. And we as a church, just so you know, we did two pretty big renovations, poured about 50, 60,000 bucks. Kathy was leading the team back then. We did all these renovations and helped them, and then we got involved with the school and doing all these things. One of the things, Jody became chaplain. When Jody was there as chaplain, one of the things she got involved with was the breakfast program for students that showed up with no food. So, so what do we do? Like, you know, at that time, there's about 20 kids showing up every day with no food. So um, we're like, well, you know, give us a little bit of a challenge. So we, you know, the team got involved and we got all kinds of food donations and we got all kinds of fruit and all good things coming in, milk and everything coming in. We're like, this is not good enough. We're going to make it great. So we took that breakfast feeding program from 20 kids to 80 kids. Isn't that fantastic? We're now caring for 80 children. And then Jody had one of those head-scratcher moments where you kind of go, what are we really accomplishing here with this? So she went to the principal, who was a really reasonable, open guy, and said, I think we should cancel the, the, the feeding program, which is not what you usually hear from church pastors. And he said, what are you talking about? And she said, the reason that this feeding program is growing is because we're just providing better and better food. Kids are rocking up on the way to school, throwing their lunches in the ditch so they can have our food because it's not as the mom's food and as this. And it's creating more and more burden and a lot more family dysfunction. So he agreed. He canceled the program. And but, but they came up with this solution. Every single time a child showed up with no food, they told their class teacher, the class teacher always had emergency food. But as soon as that emergency food was accessed, it triggered a response in the system. And Jody would ask the teacher, what's going on? Well, I think this is going on. Then she would go with the child home and talk to the family and say, why, is, why are we showing up t today with no food? And you know, almost always the parents and the carers, the grandparents who were trying to, trying to take care of these kids were ashamed of their failure. And so Jody said, what can we do so that you can provide food for your children? And we took that feeding program from 80 down to two, but spent time caring for people so that they could care for their own. Do you see the difference there? So this is what he's getting about. Parents need to feed their own children. But if you can't today, let's work on what's happening today. And then over time, you're going to get well enough that you can take this. And you know what's going to happen? You're going to get a whole new sense of pride. So strengthening through testing is normal. It's important that you challenge your kids, that you say no to your kids, that you say, that's your problem. Suffer in your jocks. <laughs> it's important that 
gifting and capacity is discovered. I didn't know I could do this. I couldn't know I could go to this level. I didn't know I could solve these bigger problems. It's have, it's have a good sense of self-worth comes out of that sense of accomplishment. And we have to learn then that as we accomplish, we become contributors to others. We share with other people. And you know what? We even get a sense of pride that we're doing that. Look at me helping this person. So let's go back to those questions. Who truly is in need so that there's enough? We need to help other people without judgment. We're not saying you're a bad or a good person. We're just saying you got a need. We help on that basis. But we only help as much as needed. To go beyond that is to disempower people. And also to make that means that there's not enough to share around to the others in need. That lady I told you about, she had two daughters. One took all of the attention, the money, and the care, and the other doctor got neglected. So any more weakens the person and ruins their self-worth, and we do not help those who do not need it, which is sometimes the hardest thing to do of all. Can I just, for some of you, the need is sometimes your bosses, sometimes it's the organizations that you're working for, we need you to solve this. And you go, no, you need to figure this out and get it right so we're not always facing this same problem. Because your employers and your husbands and your wives and your family can constantly put pressure on you and never be willing to solve the deeper problems. But it's not your problem. It's their problem. Does that make sense? It's their problem. And if you own it, you make sure that, that what happens is they never solve it for themselves. Okay, number two, we have to have protection for those who care for the needs of others. Like he says in Galatians, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. This is the principle of putting your oxygen mask on first. You know, on an airplane, when they say, you know, the cabin depressurizes, oxygen masks will drop from the ceiling, and then you've got to put the mask on yourself, but putting on your children, because there's no point if you pass out while your mask is half on your child. Put your own mask on first, then help your children. You have to make sure that you are okay and make sure that you can stay contributing to others. And don't let other people's point of view shape yours. I keep telling this people always in leadership, if the raft, if the life raft sinks, everybody drowns. If you are the person caring for others and you go under, what's going to happen to them? We need to make sure that we are caring for them in these principled ways. Now, three, the rehabilitation of others who become contributors. We are to raise adults, not children. I keep hearing this. I want to provide my children with this idealistic childhood. That is not what it's about. Nobody who is a parent is raising children. You are raising adults. At the end of the day, there shouldn't still be children. They should be adults by the time they're adults so they can live in the adult world. But when we constantly help out, now listen, I know a lot of you parents, you get your, self, your sense of your own worth by doing all of these things for your kids. Let me tell you this, it's not about you. It's not about your sense of, wow, look, I did all these amazing things for my children. It's about what are the kids becoming? What are they becoming enabled to do? Number, and then certainly maintain a positive conviction that your person you're helping, and I forgot to put the rest, can become more. Don't get your identity from helping people, and we are always teaching people to fish. Success comes when they're able to do it for themselves. So here's the last bit of that passage. He says, do not be deceived. 
God is not mocked. That is, like, he's not going to kind of twist around the circumstances of things and you did it the wrong way and he's just going to go, oh, well, I guess it works out for you your way too. You can't buck the system. Don't be deceived. God is not marked. Whatever one sows, you are going to reap that. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those who are the household of faith. Notice that last line? Especially. Why? Because Christ has created the church, the community of God. And that community is living in a different way than the rest of the world. Out there, you pour your help in, you get no return. But in the church, when you pour your help in, we grow people up. And those people become capable, and those people become contributors. So we help one another of the faith more than we help the outside world because we have boundaries on the conditions. But also, notice what this scripture says. You have to sow to the Spirit. Sow to the Spirit. Not to the flesh. He's contrasting. What do you mean, sow the Spirit? Not to the and I can't do a whole study on the book of Galatians in the last 50 seconds. But I can tell you this. Your capacity of who you are either comes from your flesh or it comes from the Spirit. It either comes from your flesh or from your spirit, from the Spirit. And if you are constantly trying to become a greater person by working harder on yourself, then at the end of the day, you've got more flesh. You don't have more spirit. So what he's saying in these scriptures is, you have to go to Christ in the Gospels. You have to come to Jesus. You have to depend on the power of the Holy Spirit to become who you are called to be. If you're saying right now, I'm not enough, the difference is not you working harder. It's in you knowing more about Christ and receiving more from Christ. You see, every person who comes here today, I don't know where you are in your life, but I know everybody does need this. You need Jesus Christ. You cannot live on your own and you should not trying to be living from your own. The lesson of caring for people's burdens, the biggest point is this. Your burdens have to be carried by Jesus and you have to get comfortable with that fact. You will never be good enough, but Jesus is good enough. You will never have enough strength, but Jesus has strength. You will never have enough power, but Jesus has power. You will never be able to free from a guilty conscience based on your own work, but Jesus can set your conscience free. You see, Jesus is the only one who can give life. And that lesson of depending and casting our burdens, that's to fulfill that law, the law that everybody needs Jesus. And I don't know who you are today, but if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, then it's important for you to, to recognize right now, you cannot make your life. You need Jesus to do that. And he wants to carry your burden and build your capacity. You are never going to become who you are called to be without Jesus' help in making you.
So let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful for the gift of Jesus Christ. Jesus who believes in us, who sees our brokenness and understands that we are sinners and knows that we are sinners in ways that we don't even know we're sinners. But he loves us. So thankful, Father, that you sent your son Jesus to this world to save us from our sins, but not just to save us from sins, but you saved us for a life of righteousness. You saved us for a good life because you knew what we could be if you carried our burdens. And so, Father, I pray for every person in this room today, Lord, and every person that's watching online, Lord, I pray that you would open up their hearts to know and believe that you are the one who carries all burdens. You are the one who lifts all lives, and you are the one who forgives all sins, and you are the one who gives new life to dead people. So I pray for faith today. Lord, I pray that you would give people faith to put their trust in Jesus, their hope in Jesus, and their belief in Jesus and not in themselves. Lord, I pray that you would call those who want to be part of your family into your family so you can be raising them to be those mature Christian adults that you know they can become. Where are you right now? In your own heart. Would you say you trust in yourself for who you are? Would you say that who you are today is the product of your hard work, your goodness, your life, your work? Today, I'm challenging you to let go of that image and to grab hold of Jesus, to put your hope in him and ask him to forgive your sins. Ask him to come into your life. It's as simple as praying this. Pray this with me now. Jesus, I need you. I can never I can never live this life that I feel like I'm called to live without you. I can't be a good person without you. I can't help other people without you. And so, Jesus, I invite you into my heart. I invite you to forgive my sins. And I pray that you would come into my life and change me. Holy Spirit, come, Lord, and draw those who are your children, Lord, to yourself. And for all of us, Lord, who are struggling and working constantly to help other people, I pray, Father, that you would give us the wisdom that comes from these scriptures. Help us, Lord, to study them and to understand them so that we can be there for other people, so that we can help not just to care for the need of the moment, but that we can help build people so that they become more. Father, I pray that you would just give us an insight so that you can strengthen those who have become weakened, Lord, those who have been disappointed and disillusioned, those who might be feeling terrible burdens themselves. Lord, I pray that you would give us confidence that if we follow what your word is saying, that, Lord, it will lead to healthy, great things. Help us, Lord, to be obedient to those things. I just want to pray for people who feel guilty and overwhelmed right now. Lord, I pray that you release the guilty. Lord, the people that feel the constant pressure from others and people that feel pressured by them and then become guilty and feel like they can't get it right, feel like they're never doing enough. Lord, I pray for a relief from those burdens of, of shame and guilt and judgment and measurement. Lord, I pray that you release people from that. Lord, help us to become generous contributors again so that your blessing is on us every time we help another. And Lord, that your spirit would enliven us and keep us healthy, Lord, even as we follow and obey your word. We pray for this now in Jesus' name.
Amenu. You've been listening to a message from Hope Central in Adelaide, South Australia. If you want more information about who we are, visit us at hopecentral.org.au or join us for Sunday worship at any of our three campuses. Thank you.